Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now, uh, my dear friends, this is the uh, eighth sermon in our sermon series on the letter of James. And this evening's study is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. The sermon this evening, it will be part one of what I see more of a two-part study. Because many name chapter 2 as the theological center of James's letter. So I thought it would be good to review briefly its place in the letter. When James asks and answers the question of how faith works in chapter 2, he's bringing into focus the topic that he first began in chapter 1. We saw in verse 21 of that chapter how he tells his readers that they must receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then the verse following, he adds, but they also must be doers of the word and not hearers only. So already we have this twofold aspect, implanted word in regeneration, and then the nature of how faith works in sanctification in 22. The man or woman whom God blesses is not a hearer who forgets but a doer who acts. And then in verses 26 and 27, he shows us again how true religion shows itself in action. It controls the tongue. It cares for widows and orphans in their distress. Each of these are verbs, aren't they? Action words. And James qualifies what he's written so far in a specific example that follows. This compassion for the poor includes all their needs, material needs, as well as spiritual needs. Believers meet the need of their fellow believers with dignity and love, because this is part of the royal law of the Lord Jesus Christ. James adds his voice to the other voices in the scriptures. He writes how to love your neighbor as yourself is the fulfilling of the law. Because the written law of God is revealing the character of God, who is love. Now we saw how the Apostle Paul says the same. A very famous example that I didn't mention last time is 1 Corinthians 13. The very famous chapter on love. Remember how it ends? Faith, hope, and love. Of these three, the greatest is love, for love endures. Now, why is that? Well, faith and love and hope are different aspects of the relation of the believer in Jesus Christ. Faith and hope find a glorious resolution when a believer is wondrously restored before the throne of God in glory. Yet love remains. Because love is eternal, because God is love. Love is the essence of your communion with God in eternity. 
Therefore, we will be judged, James tells us, by God's law of love. I also want us to consider the context of James's own spiritual psychology. Remember, he himself was so wonderfully transformed by grace. We saw how he only came to faith after the resurrection. Perhaps he's recalling his own life here as he begins this examination in chapter 2. The way he grew up with the Lord Jesus, yet not knowing the Lord Jesus. And so James, God's fit instrument, now a truly loving pastor, shreds any false sense of security that maybe he himself possessed in his years of denial of the Lord Jesus. He wants to show us as we truly are, to unmask a cheapening of God's grace in Christ. And so, in these verses now, he sets his exposition into four parts. Now, the first two we're going to look at this Sunday, and the second half next Sunday. Here, we see in verses 14 to 19 that he poses two questions, and then he gives an answer, an explanation. And next week, in verses 20 through 26, we will examine his two wonderful and contrasting illustrations before we come to his final conclusion. So let's begin now. He poses two questions in verses 14 through 17. So I hope you have your Bibles open so you can follow along with me. Now what good is it, my brothers, he writes, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James begins his argument here with two rhetorical questions that in the Greek original are written in such a way that a negative answer is expected. What good is faith without works? None whatsoever. What good is it? Faith without works? Can it save him? No. So this hypothetical person that James has created as he begins his argument uh, does not have faith because he lacks the biblical sense of faith. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, many will read James's words without having read what he has argued so far in his letter. Jumping to the conclusion that James is saying here that faith alone does not save, a truth he repeats in 2.24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So is James in an apparent contradiction with the Apostle Paul who argues for faith alone in Romans 3.28 where he writes, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul says here unequivocally that salvation is sola fide, by faith alone. However, there's no real contradiction between James and Paul regarding faith for 
Paul's teaching about faith and works focuses on the time before conversion. And James' focus is after conversion. Now, one writer summarized the comparison this way. Paul denies any efficacy to pre-conversion works. But James is pleading for the absolute necessity of post-conversion works. Now, as Anglicans, this should not surprise us. The articles make this same point, And we see in the various collects of the Christian year how we are always praying for God's grace and mercy so that we, too, might make faith work in our lives and in our hearts. You see, Paul was fighting against a tradition that promoted a false work salvation. And James was fighting against a light faith, faith light, let's call it, that saw no dynamic that made a changed life and its consequence in activity after coming to Christ, after coming to Christ. Now, I must be honest with you, this is a pastoral burden that every gospel minister shares. This idea that there are those who deny any necessity or consequence of works in our lives that changed and transformed life. Now, one colleague shared with me once how when he was a young minister, he had a member in his church who was a husband and worked as a cross-country trucker. Now, this trucker understood that Jesus is the Son of God. He knew he was a sinner, and he believed that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. He attended church every week with his wife when he was home. And he even had a decision card tucked in his wallet with the day he went forward and accepted Jesus as his personal savior. But then word got to my colleague friend that this man actually had girlfriends in several cities. And the thing is, he didn't want to give them up. He was married. But, well, his wife didn't know. And in the end, it made their marriage better, he thought. He would be more loving when he got home. And when my colleague challenged the man, the trucker was polite, but unmoved. You know what he did? He took out that decision card and said, I'm all right. Pastor, once saved, always saved. Isn't that right? Was that man a Christian? Another pastor friend of mine Uh, we met a while back now, uh, told me about their brother. Now, I knew the man because the three of us had grown up together. And as a matter of fact, we had spent uh, quite a considerable number of years together in a conservative Baptist church in the uh, youth group and as a young adult until we all married and left home. Together, we admitted that we were sinners and needed salvation And the three of us spoke of it together many times as we grabbed a pizza, say, after youth group. We believed in Jesus, the Son of God, and endured the crucifixion for us. He rose from the dead to win life for all of us who believe. But what my buddy told me, who was a pastor now, that since his brother married, 
he had only attended worship sporadically. And he didn't even try to use the old excuse that I hear sometimes as well, that, well, I watched a preacher on TV this morning. There was nothing there. So was my teenage friend a Christian? Now, the question James addresses is a real issue. It remains an issue today, and evidently it was an issue then. Many of us know people like that truck driver or my teenage friend. All the boxes are checked. They know the doctrines of the Christian faith. They seem to live, they live decent lives, although they admit, well, yes, they indulge in a vice or two. But there is nothing distinctly transforming in their behavior. You touch the issue, you get a shrug, or silence, or maybe annoyance. Now there's an essential biblical principle here. That when a man or woman comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a whole new creation. Life is gloriously transformed. So if being a believer in Jesus Christ does not gloriously change your life, you must ask, are you truly a believer in Jesus Christ? To emphasize this vital principle, faith in Christ brings new creation, a life gloriously transformed, James gives a simple example in what follows. In his example, a brother or sister who's in need is a member of the local church. They sit at the Lord's table with the rest of the church in worship, but you can tell that they're not well-dressed, perhaps suggesting a need. Notice in the exchange, nothing is ever spoken to by the person in want. There's an open question, therefore, whether they have enough food to eat for that day or for the day after. So who speaks in James' example, thereby showing their work? It's the secure believer with the radiant smile who says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without the slightest twinge of conscience as they pass by. Now, This has such a vivid ring to it for James. I wonder if this is something he saw. He's very concerned as a pastor because there obviously is something radically wrong with this person's faith. So James concludes, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This inward spiritual deadness reveals itself in a life totally lifeless. Think of it like this. Imagine you're at a private function, let's call it a wedding reception. And there you are, you know, at the table, and then you see a server nearby who drops a tray of dishes. And you may say out loud, oh dear, poor guy. Well, if you feel sympathy for the person, what should you do? Well, you should go and help them. This is James's point, you see. Professions of sympathy are empty if you do nothing. 
sympathy has hands and feet. If you claim you have sympathy and do nothing, then you have no sympathy. So here is James's point. A faith in Jesus Christ that doesn't transform your life. The problem is that not that you lack works, so you better go get some works. The problem is, is that you lack saving faith. And so the questions he asks is a devastating one. If someone says he has faith but no works, can that faith save him? No, of course it can, he says. And he goes on then, anticipating the response that he might get in his explanation that follows. He gives an explanation. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what's the pushback that he's getting here? Well, you choose your own way. Somebody will say, you have faith, I have works. Some people who have faith in the church and doctrine, then others works, you know. Well, take your choice. Some people are just suited toward one thing and someone's suited toward another. The works way or the faith way. This hypothetical person feels the pressure and responds with that typical thing we can all do with a qualification. Well, you know, I like theology and are more theoretical. And I prefer to talk about faith. On the other hand, you know, you're a much more practical person than me. Faith for you is living out Jesus' teaching. But we just have a different emphasis. We're both Christians, aren't we? And James thunders back, if you think that you can choose faith but have no works, or you choose works, but bypass an anchoring in the saving grace of Jesus Christ? My dear friend, you haven't even begun to understand the gospel. Look, you show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, the believer is a changed man, a changed woman. No change, no faith. No transformation, no salvation. You see, what James is saying here is that the gospel doesn't just, you know, float above my head. It grabs my heart. It transforms my life. It brings me to Jesus Christ in such a way that I'm never the same man or the same woman again. It is bound to show. Now, he is not speaking of someone who's showing off. Look at me. I'm a super Christian believer. But he is saying, as Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. In other words, if you follow the light, 
you will begin to shine in the darkness because by his grace, your life is transformed. Now notice how he tackles this person who has this, you know, theological bent idea. You believe that God is one, he writes in verse 19, and you do well. And then the zinger, even the demons believe and shudder. Now, what's he doing here? Well, God is one. Have you heard that before? You might have. It's what Moses gave the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. These are the words of the Shema, so-called because the first word in the Hebrew, here, is Shema, hear. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the Old Testament creed, if you will. And every Orthodox Jewish believer says this creed. It's like the Apostles' Creed we just said together a few minutes ago. Does it save you, reciting the creed? If you say you believe it, you do well, but remember, so do the demons. In other words, have you noticed that there is an impact, even in the demons, an impact? They shudder, literally, they bristle up like a frightened cat. And Mark 5, there's an example of this. It's Jesus saving the Gadarene demoniac. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The demons who possess this poor man amongst the graves drive him toward Jesus and shout in fear, Do not torment me. You can see what James is doing here. The person who says, Yes, I believe, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't matter whatsoever to my life. Then, my friend, the demons have much more life-transforming faith than you have. Even the demons profess this, and they tremble. You show me your faith without any life-transforming work in it, and it is worth less than that of the demons' faith. And I will show you my faith in the way it has transformed my life. You know, the Apostle Paul says exactly the same thing to us. At the end of his letter to the Corinthians, it's 29 chapters in all, he appeals to them all in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 like this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. This is what Paul says. So here's the question. Do you do that? Now, full disclosure, I must confess I do. Every time I sin... Every time I fail, and I come before the Lord in my morning office, and 
I'll ask myself the question, oh Lord, am I truly a believing and committed Christian? We ask the question, am I a real Christian? You see, we're not believers by a creed only or a decision card. I mean, how pathetic is that? How small is that? Do you think that the Son of God left heaven's glory, endured the cross just so that you could recite a creed or sign a decision card? God forbid that I should cheapen all that he's done for me by thinking that's Christianity. I need to examine myself. Is it transforming my life? That's what James is saying. Faith works. It's a verb, not a noun. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the Email Newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.